0: pastors here, and it's so good to be together. Before we jump in the message this morning, though, I just want to echo what was already shared. Teacher appreciation, great job, New Hope. I mean, you guys just showed up time and time again, and you did uh, so on this event as well, and just having the staff blessed in the way that uh, you were a part of is is huge, so great job with that. And what Pastor Tom was sharing in two Sundays from today is Food Truck Sunday, and I don't know if you remember it from last year. It was a blast. If you can imagine out in the parking lot, we're going to have two food trucks there, so after the second service, you can go out and and, uh, grab some lunch and we'll have tables and chairs for just visiting and being together. The lawn out there is going to have the bounce house for kids and lawn games and uh, there's just so much going on. Music's going to be happening so it's just going to be a really special morning, a great chance to invite friends to uh, a morning that's just a little bit different. Not to mention we're going to be sporting our favorite, you're going to be, and myself too, sporting your favorite sporting team. So um, uh, Hawkeye, Cyclones, uh, maybe for me like Chargers, Padres and some of you are like who? Like nobody likes them and this part of the country, but nonetheless, you support your favorite team, and anyway, it's just a fun kind of morning to be a part of, so um, if you go out there, you can get your picture taken to spread the word in that way, and just inviting your friends is a great thing. Also, after this service, immediately after, at 1145, we're going to be doing a Leaders Together huddle, and and really, this is for leaders to come together as a church, and we typically do training, and we talk about things coming up. This one's a little different. This one's shorter. It's only 30 minutes, but we are going to be talking about and sharing, really for the first time, the vision for New Hope church into 2020 so where we're going as a church and this is really the work of the elder team we had a retreat recently and really throughout the year of just praying and working together is where is God leading New Hope Church and so we want to begin to share with you some of these these big projects these big ideas these things that we're trusting God for and so I would encourage you if you've got a spare a couple minutes uh, stick around for that time it'll be worth your time We we'll also have some Q&A as well and so you can ask some questions if you would like so plan on that right after this this service all that said, okay, grab your Bibles, please, and uh, we're going to be in the book of Philippians. We're in chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. And uh, as you remember, we are working through a sermon series called Joy Joyride. Joyride is a, a series where we're walking through Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, and, and he's writing this letter. There's all kinds of different themes and different ideas that are communicated here, but there's really one theme that rises to the surface that is important that we're looking at, and that's the theme of joy, joy and and where is it and and how do you find it you know so many people are looking for joy but so few actually seem to connect with this this uh this reality this thing that God has for us of living with joy and and I think what we've learned so far is being rather surprised with joy that uh, in terms of where we find it so just by way of review and if you have your bulletin on the back page there I have them listed the previous four weeks. So just real quickly, I'm going to review these. The first week we talked about the, how joy is found in communities community, that's united around Jesus. So the idea here is that joy is found when people, strangers like you and I, that come together and become family, when all of our uniquenesses, and yet we come together and God works through us as we become family, if you will, then we find joy in that place as we live out our mission. And our mission here at New Hope Church is helping people find and follow Jesus. That's what we're about. And so we, we knit together underneath that mission to say that's what we're gonna do and that's what we're about. And as we do that together, we find joy. The week after that, we talked about how joy is found in my purpose and not my position. As in my position in life. See, if I attach happiness to my position in life, well, well, position is always changing. See, my position could be good, things are going really well in life, or my circumstances could be lousy. And so if I ride the emotions of my circumstances, then the happiness I'm going to experience is tied to that. And yet what we see here is Paul saying, you know what, I'm going to attach to my purpose. And for Paul, he said, my purpose is this, to know Christ. That's what he talked about. He says, my, my purpose is for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. And we added, asked this question, is what you're living for worth dying for? Because if it's not worth dying for, there's a good chance it's not worth living for. So we want to attach to our purpose and not our position. The next week, we talked about humbly serving Jesus. Now we, we find joy as we, with humility, in a Christ-like manner, serve others. There's a paradox there that we find joy as we serve others. And that's a beautiful thing. And so we had that uh, three weeks ago or two weeks ago. And then last week we talked about this idea is that when I put my faith in action, I find joy. Joy is found when I put my faith into action. And, and Paul talked about this way. He called us to, to work out our salvation, that we, would, that we would take that intentionality and say, you know, becoming more like Jesus is my effort. And so I'm going to work this out and, and trust him as he enables you and I to do that. That said, let me introduce now our big idea for this morning. So again, if you have your bulletins, your next fill in the blank. Here it is, the big idea for today, it's this: is that joy is found when Jesus is Lord. Joy is found when Jesus is Lord. Now let me be real clear here real quick. Jesus is Lord. But my question here this morning, what this is really about, is, is this idea of, is Jesus your Lord? Is He your highest priority? Is he in that place of highest authority in your life to where you you look to him, that he is over your life? Joy is found when Jesus is your Lord. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, if you've been in church for a while, I have no doubt that you have heard a sermon or two or 20 on this very idea. You've read the scriptures yourself, that Jesus is supposed to be Savior and Lord. And so I think if we're not careful, we can become used to this idea. And it's so easy to say, yeah, I I get it. Jesus, he's commanding officer. We're, We're foot soldiers. He's Lord. We're not. I get that. I've heard that. And it's easy to go ahead and just tune out. But what I want to do this morning is I want to just remind all of us, remind all of us that there are so many things in life that are competing for your attention, And your affection. There's so many things in your life that are are competing there with the Lord in terms of what's going to be that object of affection and your highest attention given to this. What's the thing in life that you worship the most? And here's the thing that becomes uh, just, I think, something we don't think about nearly often enough. It's this idea that oftentimes it's the good things in our life that actually compete with Jesus to be Lord of our life. I mean, yeah, we all know there's things in our lives that's like, yeah, I shouldn't be doing that. And yeah, I'm giving my attention over here, and it's distracting in terms of my faith and all that. But did you, you know, we don't often think about, but what about those good things? What about things like family and friendships and work? I mean, those are gifts. Those are, those are beautiful things in our lives that add so much value. But we sometimes don't re- remember or realize sometimes that, that those can be the very things that become, well, the Bible calls them idols, and an idol is anything that you worship except for God. That's an idol. And so even those good things in life, if they're not careful, if we're not careful, and we make them the main thing in our life, can become an idol. See, you know how it is. You read the Bible just like I do, and you read things like the Ten Commandments. Right? The Ten Commandments, the first commandment, you know, there is one God. Worship that God only. And we're not to worship any other gods but him. Or we go to the New Testament and we read the Great Commandment, and Jesus is talking, and he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so we clearly see in Scripture, like, like he is supposed to be number one, he's supposed to be Lord. But what happens is that gets challenged because of the nature of life. Let me use an illustration. Up here on this stool, I have things in my life that are good things. I've got my family here. I've got a family portrait, my kids. That's a good thing. They're gifts in my life. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, how about just keys here? And keys are just going to kind of represent what you have too. I mean, there's maybe a, a, a home you know, or, or a car or any kind of possession that you have that you're just thankful to have and it's a useful thing in your life. Um, we've got technology here and so we've got that in our lives. Or how about this checkbook here representing finances? And so you have, these are just sample things in life that you attach to and so do I but what I think I think the illustration of what I'm really trying to drive home here is this idea of this Bible represents the Lord the idea is that the Lord should be over all of this in such a way that that everything in my life connects underneath the Lordship of Christ and so my family comes under the Lordship of Christ and so what does that mean well it means that my family is designed and built in our intention we want to glorify God And my role in that as husband and dad is to try to make that happen. Or how about finances? Well, it means my finances come under the lordship of Christ, and I want my finances, then I want to honor him with what he's provided. I don't own it. I'm just a manager just like you. And so everything comes under the lordship of Christ. And that's a biblical picture. I think that's a target of what we're talking about. But here's what happens far too often is we take our faith and we love God and all that's in place. But it becomes, if you will, if we think about this tabletop or the stool top represents life and all the stuff and trappings of life that we have, our faith becomes one of many things on the table. Well, what begins to happen then in this scenario is that my faith becomes crowded out with everything else. Because I've got the family and running kids here and the job expectations and this is going on and pressure here and deadline there and all this stuff coming at me and faith is in the midst of it. Yes, it hasn't disappeared, but here's what begins to happen. Is that day after day and then week after week, month after month, our faith becomes diminished. All of a sudden, really, I am Lord because I'm the only thing attached to all this stuff and my faith just goes to the sideline. And how I used to be growing a lot, I'm not growing so much anymore. And, and how I used to, to, used to spend time with him in the word and prayer and just enjoying, enjoying my relationship with God, it's, if I'm honest, it's been a long time. It's been months even. It gets crowded out. And it gets crowded out, we have to recognize, with the good things. It's the good things in life, the gifts from God that can do that. It's the good things in life that if we're not careful, can become idols in our life. In our passage today, Paul's going to address this. Paul's going to hit this head on. And so we're going to jump in. So it's Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And Paul's words this morning, they are very, they're very personal and they're very direct, which I appreciate. And I think we're going to learn some things together as we look at this passage here. Let's read together, starting in verse 1. Paul says this. He says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters. Remember, he's writing to a church in Philippi. He says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the lord in other words have joy this is what we've been talking about this really this whole sermon series like, like no matter what your circumstances are no matter what's going on in your life the calling is there rejoice rejoice in, in the lord no matter where you're at whatever's going on he says i never get tired of telling you these things and i do it to safeguard your faith verse 2. paul says this his tone's going to change dramatically he says watch out for those dogs Those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Wow. We went from like rejoice in the Lord, yay, and now we're like, you dogs, watch out for these dogs. Now what's going on here? Paul is addressing these dogs, if you will. And by the way, for Jewish people at this day, dogs were considered dirty, mangy, disgusting animals. And so he's, this is not a compliment. This is a, this is a bit of an insult that he's giving. But these dogs, these were the religious leaders of the day. These were the Pharisees. And the problem was that these religious leaders were teaching that a person had to be circumcised in order to be saved. And that's a huge deal. Now, if you're here this morning and you're wondering what circumcision is, I want to encourage you to email Pastor Tom um, or Pastor Jake. They would be happy to help you. So their information's in the bulletin, on the somewhere in there, and uh, you just email them for that. But nonetheless, they were saying you need to do this step, you need to do this work. If you if you take this step and you do this thing, now you're eligible to be saved. Now you're you're a candidate for God's grace. Well, Paul says, no, no, no. I mean, he's, that, that's just something he's like, no, no. We have to fight to defend the gospel and grace. Here's your next fill in the blank. It's this idea. It's this. If you, if you trust in your goodness over God's grace, you're going to wreck your spiritual life. So the idea here is that if you trust anything that, that you can do, if you trust anything that, that your accomplishments anything that's good in your life all this stuff that we look at and we get our self-esteem from and we get our purpose from and all this kind of stuff if, if that's what we're looking and not to Christ to, in order to be i don't know approved by God to earn God's love anything of works of that sense Paul's just taking this head on he continues on look with me at verse 3 he says for we worship by the spirit of God for we who worship excuse me by the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised Here's the key. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. That's huge. See, see, Paul is saying here, look, Jesus is the most important in what he's doing and what he's done in your life. That's what matters most. Not all this other stuff that makes maybe you think and I think that we're great people and this and that's going on. He's drawing a line here, isn't he? He's making a strong point. And then to keep driving this point home, he's going to do something that he probably hates, but he's going to begin to brag about himself. Let's keep going. Verse 4. He says, Though I myself have reason for such confidence, and boy does he. He says, If someone else thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And it's true. I mean, Paul's religious resume is way better than any of ours in this room. I mean, the things that he's done, he'll go through the list here. He says, circumcised on the eighth day. Got that accomplished. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. What's he saying? He's saying that Paul's saying, my, my heritage is impeccable. In terms of that day and and being a a Jewish man and and circumcised, he was a Pharisee, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning that he was a Jewish man who also spoke Hebrew. Not every Jewish man or woman then spoke Hebrew. I mean, you you talk about just the perfect uh, lineage and heritage. He had it. Continues on and says, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. Paul's saying, even though it was misguided, he knew the Old Testament. In fact, Paul, I mean, not only did he know the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, he memorized most, if not all of it. I mean, some of us can't remember our phone number. But here, I mean, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, you just go through it. He memorized all of that. His Bible knowledge that this man had was incredible. And then he goes on, he says, As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul's not saying he never sinned. But what he's saying is, you you talk about striving to live out faith, you talk about striving to, to do what this says, nobody tried harder than I did. I gave everything I had. Everything in my life was about trying to live for God. You talk about a religious resume that's impeccable. Paul had it. And so Paul goes through this whole exercise to, to highlight this thing of, like, you have to do this stuff or be good enough in order to earn God's favor or love or to be a candidate for salvation. And he goes through his whole thing, and he does all that to make this point and to share this verse, verse 7. Here's our next verse, and here's, here's a key verse for this morning. He said this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever, whatever was a gain to me in comparison to who Jesus is, I consider it a loss. Whatever accomplishments I've hit compared to who Jesus is and who he is in my life, I consider it a loss. No matter what I've accomplished or what I have or whatever it is going in my life. See, what he's saying is this, is that Jesus is the most important person or thing in my life, that nothing surpasses him. That nothing, when it comes to my life, even though there's good things in my life, I consider all of that loss in comparison to who Jesus is. Which raises the question, why would anybody give up everything for one thing? And the answer is, you wouldn't. Unless the one thing was more valuable than everything. Did you catch that? See, what it does is it pushes you and I to make a decision about who Jesus is and the value that he has in your life. How important is he? What priority does he have? In your life, is he he over everything or is he just in the midst of everything? How does that play out for you? What, What does that look like for you? Paul again says, whatever was a gain, I consider loss. Jesus talked about the same thing. In fact, he told, he shared a one-verse parable, one of the shortest in all the scripture, but to highlight this very point, just look on the screen behind me, Matthew 13, verse 45. Jesus says this, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, and when a man found it, he hid it again. Not hid it, but hid it again. And then uh, in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought the field. So what's his point? His point again is this, is that you will give up everything when you find the one thing that is more valuable than anything. That's his point. In this case, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. As we talk about it, we're talking about as Jesus, that Jesus is the one thing that is the most important thing. Now, to keep driving this home, Paul's going to keep going. Look what he says next, verse 8. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss, Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And then look at this. This is striking. He says, I consider them garbage. And that's a strong word, isn't it? In fact, that word in the Greek, is not only means garbage, it also means excrement. You can fill in the blank on that one. That's what this word means. I mean, that's what, that's what it is in comparison to who Jesus is. Now, remember, Paul's pedigree, his accomplishments, his resume goes on page after page. Nobody had a better one than him. But for him to come to a place, he says, look, in all of that, if you put it on the scales, Jesus is better. Jesus is way better. He's way more important. And it's all about him and it's all for him. He keeps going. He says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, or in other words, comes from my my works. I join this committee and I give this much over here and I'm the first one to church on Sunday mornings and I'm on this small group. You know, sometimes we can do that, we think all these they're good things, but it's a works mentality. This is being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or works, but that which comes is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So here's the big idea. Is there anything in your life, whether it's good or frankly it's not good, that competes with Jesus as Lord, it's time to take it to the curb. It's time to get rid of it. It's time to evaluate it for what it is and say, no more. I'm going to get rid of it. I'm, going to give it I, I'm, I'm not going to keep holding on to this. And I think when we think about our lives, maybe you can think of some things in your life that it's time to just get rid of it. Because you know that it has your attention and it has your affections. You know that it's hurting your relationship with Christ. You, you know that's in place. But what about the good stuff? Because we're not talking about giving up family and we're not talking about giving up work. So what does that look like? My encouragement to all of us this morning is this that for some of the good things in life, it's not about giving them up. You know what it's about? It's about giving it over. It's about taking things like family and friends and surrendering it to him and say God, I want to I want to put this under your leadership. I want to bring my family and my friends and my work and my hobbies. You know what else can become an idol? Ministry isn't that interesting even ministry itself can become an idol if it becomes the main thing and so i put that under the lordship of christ i mean all these things we begin to put under the lordship of christ we say this is this is not for me this is not about me this is about you and so we give it over now here's what you're going to find as you do this you will begin to experience joy in all those areas you put under the lordship of christ Because here's how it works. You you take, for example, family. You put family under the lordship of Christ. You know what, Lord? We're going to do things as a family your way. We exist to honor you. What will begin to happen is that your family will get better. That's how it will work. Your marriage will get better under the the lordship of Christ. You take friendships, for example, and you would say, you know what, I'm going to take my friendships, whether you feel like I don't have any friends or the friends I have. The fr- we know how friends influence us. And we, we say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to put my friendships in that whole arena under your lordship. Guess what happens? Your friendships get healthier and clearer. Or how about your gifts? How about your talents? How about all those things that God has just entrusted you with that, that, that you can give back? I mean, you have experience and, and, again, natural talents and spiritual gifts. What you will find is you take all that and you put it under the lordship of Christ. The same idea happens. You will find that God will begin to use all of those talents he's given you for way significant purposes. Th- things you never thought or imagined. And it becomes exciting. See, joy is found when we place all of this under the lordship of Christ. Joy is found when Jesus is Lord. That's how this works. Now, I don't know about you, but in my life, this is how I see it working. I think sometimes we think of, and and here's a, a checkbook just for symbolism, we think of lordship this way, that we have this moment of declaration, and we say, you know what, Lord, you are... Jesus, you are Savior and you are Lord. And so I am symbolically signing over. I'm writing the checkbook, if you will, the check that symbolizes me and all of me and everything that I have and everything that I am. And we say, God, I declare that you are Lord and you hand the check over to him as a blank one and say, Lord, it's for you. I make this declaration. I'm going to follow you. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But here's how I find lordship working, like in real life. Because while you may make that declaration at one point, life continues. And so I find it looks like this. That it's not necessarily writing a one check declaration of Jesus your Lord. But rather it's taking whatever funds are there symbolic of you. And you put them into a bag of quarters and nickels and dimes and pennies. And every day that you get up and you carry around that that bag of coins if you will. You have moment not only every day but moments throughout the day. Moments of lordship decisions of, am I going to do this God's way or my way? And every time you decide, you know what, God? I'm coming under your leadership. I'm going to do it your way. You drop down a quarter. And then 20 minutes later, you get another opportunity. Drop down a quarter. Drop down a nickel. And all day long, you're just making this decision to say, you are Lord. And I'm going to do things your way. Because you know what? Life the accumulation of your life, the destiny of your life, and and where you end up going, oftentimes it's not about those big decisions. It's about those hundreds upon hundreds of little decisions that you make every single day. That's what makes up your life. And so it's making that decision every single day and throughout those days, the moments that you have of saying, you are going to be Lord. I'm going to trust you with this. And so you're doing finances one day, one morning, and things are tight, but you say, you know what, Lord, turn a quarter over. I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna keep being obedient to you. Somebody's not kind to you. Friendship is frayed. Something's not working quite right in a relationship. Lord, I bring it under your leadership and lordship. I'm trusting you with this. I'm praying about it. I'm just gonna surrender it to you. Lord, would you do something that's turning over a dollar bill right there? And you say, God, it's your way no matter how I feel about it. No matter what they say, no matter what happens. I'm trusting you that's what it looks like have an opportunity at work you got to cut a corner to reach the goal the pressure's on peer pressure coming around you god not today and not this time drop down a quarter and say i'm gonna do it your way that's what it looks like it's every day consistently over and over and over again and maybe this morning If you're honest, you're saying, okay, I understand what scripture says, but I'm not there. Um, That's too hard. That's too much. And if that's you this morning, I just want to applaud even that honesty, because here's the truth of the matter. None of us are there. When it comes to lordship, we're all a work in progress. When it comes to lordship, there's always more that we can surrender to him. Because every time you think, Lord, I've just laid it all out and I've given it all to you, then the Lord's going to come back and say, you know what, but there's something else that you're hiding that we not even realize that we're hiding or we haven't surrendered to him. He says, I want that too. Why does he do that? Because he loves you. Because he wants more of you. He wants you to surrender more of, him, of yourself to him, to trust him in order to know him. And Paul's going to answer the why question right now. And here it is, we close, verse 10. Here's what Paul says the reason why he does it all, the why he takes all the stuff that he does and he considers it rubbish compared to knowing Christ and making him Lord, he says this. He says, I want to know Christ. That's it. I want to know Christ. I I, I don't mean I want to know about him. I want to know him. And the way you get to know him is by coming to him surrendered and say, God, it's all yours. The reason he does it, Paul says, is I want to know Christ deeply, meaningfully, and all the moments and stages of life. He continues on, he says, yes, to, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Paul is saying this, that the reason I do it all is for Jesus. It's because, because I want to know him. And why do I want to know him? Because Paul got to a point that my hope and prayers that myself and every single one of us in this room will get to, if not today, then some point, where we recognize that the one person has more value than the everything. You put them on the scales and Jesus comes out on top. That Jesus is the most valuable person person thing in our lives. And so you know what? I'll give up everything for the one thing that has more value than anything. That's the key. You and I will find joy when Jesus becomes Lord. Band, you can come on up if you would, please. And we're going to pray here in just a moment. But I want to close with just some action steps. And, And here's the key question. Is there anything in your life that is competing Today, right now, with Jesus as your Lord. Because you know what this morning is really about? This morning is really about, I had conversations after the first service about this very idea. This morning is really about recalibrating your life, so to speak, back to what really matters. Keeping the main thing, the main thing. And we, you know, you, you could have had that moment in the past, but life is slippery and life is hard and so much comes at you and it's so easy to get distracted It's so easy to kind of forget about all this. And so this morning is about recalibrating. Is Jesus the main thing in my life? Is there anything competing with him or blocking him out? And if so, it's time to either give it up or give it over. So how do you do that? I want to encourage you with three quick things. Number one, time. Make a decision today to spend time with Jesus. Enjoy him. I know you're busy. Everybody in this room is busy. Sometimes you spell love, T I M E. Sometimes you just have to carve out that time and say, I'm just going to spend time with you because you're more valuable. The next one is prayer, which is this idea that as you spend time with them, pray because recognize that what, what we're talking about today, you can't do in your own strength. Don't leave here today and think this is a try harder sermon. If I just buckle down, no, 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 no. It's coming to before him and saying, Lord, I can't do this. I recognize I'm limited. I, can't, I need you to enable me to do this, to live this way, to, li- to do this. And then finally, number three, it's obedience. See, lordship, ultimately, if you boil it all down, it's just doing what he tells us to do. That's what it means. And that's how we show that we love him. We simply do what he's asked us to do. So some ideas for you as you, in your own, I encourage you, today, this week, do some reflecting, do some recalibrating, spend some time with him. Is he lord of your life? You will experience joy as Jesus is more and more the lord of your life. Can we pray together? And then we're going to close in worship. Lord, this morning is, 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 frankly, it's a good reminder. It's a good reminder that whatever gains that we have and whatever good things we have, and we recognize this morning those good things are from you. They're gifts from you. But Father, too often we are guilty of making those the main thing, of getting distracted. That It all gets jumbled in the, the, the crowding of life, and all of a sudden, we've forgotten about you. And, and so this morning, Lord, for each of us, we, we just pray that you would become more and more Lord of our lives, that we would surrender to you intentionally, not just in a one-time declaration, but throughout each day, knowing that as we trust you and surrender to you, as we make you Lord of our lives, that we will find and experience your joy. And Lord, as we're praying, and before we close this morning, I want to take time. We together, as as your people, want to take time and also pray as tomorrow is the first day of school. And so we pray for students going back, here at ADM at least, and staff and teachers, administrators. We ask that this would be a dynamic year. But this morning, we pray specifically for for the students that are here, any other churches, those that know Christ, that as they walk those uh, hallways, that they would be bold in their faith that they would be bright lights shining without fear. We pray for ministries like FCA, that those would be powerful and have a tremendous impact at that campus. We pray that teachers that are there interacting with students that know you would would shine bright and would have the courage to to point people to you in in the ways that they can. Lord, we're asking that you would keep them safe and it would be a year that just you do something very special and remarkable. Commit all this to you, Lord. We pray this in your name. And everyone said, Amen.
1: Please stand with us. The head that once was. crowned with glory now, Savior knelt to wash our feet, now at his feet we bow, the one who wore our sin and shame. of perfect love now shines for all